of sat there for a while on this steel decking and I had absolutely no idea where I was. Apart from the torch, it was total darkness. In fact, I switched off the torch and it was in, like being in black outer space. And of course, when I switched on the torch, the reflection of the light from the beam of the torch, all the silt came up. It was like being in a thick fog of silver and I could see absolutely nothing. I had no idea where I was. I could feel for the rope and couldn't find it. I began to panic. Aquanaut. My adventures and misadventures in the early days of scuba diving off the Cornish coast. Written and read by me, James Wheeler. Um, I'll just remind you that, uh, as I've said many times, that diving, any kind of diving, is always a risk. And I want to talk now about a sad loss of a very dear friend who uh, lost his life diving. And it was a wake-up call to all of us. A very sad loss of a young man. And uh, I'll talk about this tragedy now. His name was Gordon. I don't want to use his surname because his wife is probably still around and I don't want to offend her. But he was from Croydon Diving Club and they used to come down and dive with us with the Penzance Club, usually on bank holidays in late summer. And um, Gordon was an enormous man, about six foot four and almost as wide. And he was so strong, Gordon, it's unbelievable. He could lift a 50 horsepower uh, outboard motor off the beach on his shoulder and walk up the beach with it. He was such a powerful, strong man and a lovely personality. So I had many dives with Gordon, Gordon in the Penzance Club. And um, it was late summer when near midnight I had a telephone call um, from a member of Croydon Diving Club to tell me the sad news that Gordon had lost his life. And uh, so I'll tell you the details of that story, which are a little bit complicated, and I hope that you'll be able to follow. First of all, it wasn't in Cornwall, uh, and I was not present at this dive, but I'm relating the story to you to make the point that how hazardous and how a mistake can be made so easily and cause a loss of life. But Gordon was a very experienced diver, and as I've said just now, a very strong man. So Coyden Club were diving off the um, Selsey Bill in West Sussex, and it's in a, a quite a dangerous place by reputation of the fishermen, local Selsey fishermen. It's a place called the Mixon. Now, I have dived on it since. Uh, uh, the following year, in fact, I dived on it. I went up there and died on the mixing with the Chichester Club. Uh, not the following year, I beg your pardon. Some years later, I died with the Chichester Diving Club on the mixing, And so I know exactly what it's like. 
Um, I can tell you what it's like now, actually, before I talk about this tragic death, and it might help understand why, why poor Gordon lost his life. Um, when you dive on the mixer, you have to calculate the tide. The tide run there on the surface is vicious. And uh, when you dive there, you have to make sure you dive on slack water. So we did dive on this day on slack water when I dived with the Chichester branch of the diving club. And uh, we went down only about 50 feet. And it's really another experience of seeing a black moon surface, black mud, as far as you could see in pretty good visibility that day. And it's very peculiar because it, it, it looks as though it's a, a, a moon surface or even some other weird planet with just black mud and nothing else. And then you go along in, in a certain direction um, towards the the west and suddenly this mysterious black hole opens up. <laughs> you could relate it as a black hole in space but it's a huge black hole or a good 50 meters across in, in diameter and it just sinks down. So what you can do is just float, float off the top of it and then just let yourself drop down, float down into this black abyss. And as you go down deeper and deeper, of course, it gets darker and darker. I noticed at the time that uh, the sides of this black hole, there were lots of antennae sticking out and it was full of lobsters. And that's why these Celsius fishermen would go uh, lobstering there with their, with their pots. So that's what the black hole is like, and that is where Gordon uh, lost his life earlier. So what happened on that dreadful day? Well, Croydon Club set off on the beach at Selsey with their inflatable dinghy, and uh, I think there were four or six divers, I can't remember the details, but Gordon was the dive leader, he was a diving officer that day, and they must have motored out to the Mixon with the intention of a, of a good club dive. And uh, they did what we all would do, um, follow the rules. And, um, but this time, uh, they obviously had miscalculated the tide. They got the times wrong. Because when they got to the mixin, the tide was running fast. So whatever happened, we don't know for sure. Uh, they, they must have dropped the anchor uh, into the hole of the mixon and then it held and secured the boat and stopped the boat from being taken away by the fast running tide. Now the normal procedure here when you do that when you do this on the inflatable dinghy, when the anchor's down and secure you tie it to the painter. Now if you're not any any au fait with boats and and, and, and boating and particularly um the painter is a rope fixed to the base or the bottom of the of the dinghy and it's a permanent permanent rope and it, it fixes the dinghy solid so it holds the dinghy and what they do is tie the tie the anchor rope to the painter on the dinghy and then to be just to be absolutely sure that if the, if something fails you bring the unwind the remainder of the anchor rope and wrap it around the seat of the dinghy so if anything fails the boat is still held and not swept away by the tide. Well for some reason 
according to the inquest and the evidence given by the fellow divers on that day, they made a big mistake. They fixed it that the painter was normal and the boat was held, but instead of bringing the surplus rope in, bo in board and wrapping it around the seat of the inflatable, Gordon wrapped the rope around his waist. And uh, he was kitted up at the time, he had his full bottles on, all his diving kit ready, and for some reason or other, whatever we, we'll never know the truth, but the evidence from the testimony given at the inquest suggested that Gordon was ready to, dive, ready to dive and suddenly the painter broke and gave away. So you can imagine now what happened. The boat was no longer secured when the painter broke and the boat was towed away. The remainder of the anchor was around Gordon's waist and it pulled him overboard, right into the tide rip. Well, the rest of it is a completely unknown until poor Gordon's body was found some days later and it was discovered that while he was sitting in the boat fully kitted up his bottles, his air bottles, taps were not switched on. So he had a demand valve but two, two air bottles on his back giving about a hundred cubic feet of air, plenty of air, just stay down all day. But he had not turned his bottles on and the misadventure verdict given was probably that Gordon went over the side and was rolled over and rolled over and over and over and got the anchor rope wrapped around his, his, his body and he couldn't get to his knife to cut the rope and of course he had no air he was dragged down by the tide and all he had was a snorkel and when he tried to breathe from his mouthpiece of course he had no air and it's impossible, I can tell you now, to reach over your back and switch your taps on your bottles. You can't do it. You have to be, someone has to do it for you before you dive off the boat. So that was the loss of Gordon. A terrible mistake. Um, and if Gordon had his air bottles on before he dived, before he went over the side, of course, he would have been able to have plenty of air, unwind himself or cut the rope and surface safely. But unfortunately, that was not the case. It was particularly sad because they searched and searched. The Celsius lifeboat went out, apparently, and uh, the, eventually the, the diving boat, the, the uh, inflatable, went around in circles looking for Gordon, um, motored around, never found him. And when they came back to the beach, of course, his wife and child were there waiting for Gordon to come back and he never came back. His body was found three days later. So the result on this day was a loss of a dear friend. We'll never know the complete truth, and nobody ever will, of what happened that day. Maybe Gordon had the idea of, of he, if he tied himself to the anchor, he could pull himself down through the riptide and get down to the Mixon Hole, but we'll never know. So, um, we all went to his funeral up at Croydon and uh, and it was a very sad day, the funeral, with Gordon's black diving hat, which he always wore when he went out diving on the top of his coffin. So it was a wake-up call for all of us and hopefully we learn from these mistakes.
My next story is a lesson I learnt myself and learnt the hard way. It all started when uh, uh, Oxford Diving Club um, used to come down to Penzance and dive with us. And um, my dear friend, the, the diving officer, was called Mick Phipps. And uh, on one particular weekend, Mick invited me up to dive with the Oxford Club off Portland, off Portland Harbour um, in Dorset, which was in fact the next naval base. And um, Portland is a huge harbour. It's over a mile out to sea. And um, it has a long breakwater deep out in the sea um, to prevent ships from um, getting torpedoed or whatever. And um, further in close to the coast, there's another smaller breakwater. But unfortunately, right next to the coast, where the breakwater ended, they left a gap when they built it. So the Navy thought that that gap, particularly during the First World War, I understand, would allow a, a German motor torpedo boat to come in f from, from the coast and fire a torpedo through that gap and sink British ships in the harbour. So what was the solution? The solution was to um, fill the gap. And the Navy did that by fixing the Navy uh, a warship and scuttling it. And as she scuttled, of course, she turned upside down, turned turtle, as we say in the diving world, and she sank upside down and filled the gap. Now, so when we got there, um, it was low water, I remember, when we launched from the beach on the other side of the harbour uh, and, and the breakwater. And uh, the keel of the warship was all bright green because the the keel was just out of the water and uh, all the green seaweed I've given this lovely picture of a, of, a, of a warship upside down with the keel all exposed so what we had to do was to go around the inner breakwater and then anchor just on the probably the, uh, the starboard side of the wreck drop anchor and then dive down the side of the wreck now I must add that there's another problem here the Navy was still about at the time and had patrol boats up and down the harbour, even though it was not used very much. And uh, the Navy for, forbade any divers from going down on this wreck, which regarded as dangerous and they didn't want divers on it. So we broke all the rules. In spite of the, the Navy uh, trying to keep people off, we actually dived on it. So I went down side of this wreck with with Mick Phipps who was a very experienced diver and a very good friend and uh, you have to remember that uh, as we were going down the side of the ship that we were going we were going up the ship because the ship was upside down so as we were diving down we were going up decks towards the bridge which of course was upside down onto the water now Mick had dived on this wreck before and there was a hole in the side and so we had of course to be fully kitted up with a rope and also powerful torches because it was completely dark inside. At that time I was a bit um, anxious about being claustrophobic but uh, however I was brave enough to go into this wreck and follow Mick in and Mick unwound the rope as he went into the wreck. Now I guess we went in on the side decking of the of the warship, and we started to go um, down uh, down ladders, 
Well, of course, what we have to remember is uh, as we're going down the ladders, we, we couldn't orientate as to which way we were going because we'd forgotten at times that the ship was upside down. So I had to think for the minute and say, I'm climbing a ladder, am I going up a ladder or am I going down a ladder? And at the time, I can never remember, even today, which direction I was going, up or down. So anyway, we found our way into another side deck and through a, through a hatchway, through a door, led into what looked some kind of um, of a room which, which contained all sorts of instruments and valves and, and, and sorts of things like that. And we unwound the rope and found our way in. Now, there were two hazards here. I've already mentioned the complete darkness, so if you had to be very sure you didn't drop your torch. And secondly, of course, we had to have the rope unwinding and fixed to the outside of the wreck so we'd find our way out again. So we did this, and uh, the other hazard, of course, was the fact that you couldn't use your flippers. If you used your flippers, you flipped up all the silt inside the wreck, and it made it like a thick fog, and the torch would not penetrate through the silt. So you had to keep your legs perfectly still and to pull yourself along with your arms. So we went deeper into this wreck, and for reasons which I'll never understand, uh, and I don't to this very day, I lost sight of, of mixed flippers. And to my horror, I'd lost the rope. I let go of the rope. Why I did this, I will never know. I was sat there for a while on this steel decking, and I had absolutely no idea where I was. Apart from the torch, it was total darkness. In fact, I switched off the torch, and it was in, like being in black outer space. And of course, when I switched on the torch, the reflection of the light from the beam of the torch, all the silt came up. It was like being in a thick fog of silver, and I could see absolutely nothing. I had no idea where I was. I could feel for the rope and couldn't find it, and I began to panic. I didn't think I would ever panic, but I did. I remember shining the torch on my on my valve. It showed the amount of air I was using, and because I was uh, anxious and panicking, I was consuming almost twice the air that I would normally breathe. In fact, I was almost hyperventilating. And if you don't know what that means, it means demanding air from a demand valve so fast that the, the, the valve can't give you the air quick enough. So you're breathing carbon dioxide instead of uh, compressed air. So I really began to panic. I remember sweating. It was cold, yet I was sweating inside my wetsuit. How long I stayed in that position of complete bewilderment, I'll never understand. But I can tell you, my friends, the relief came when a hand came on my shoulder, and it must have been Mick, of course, and he took me out the same way as we came following the rope out, out into the lightness and on the side of the wreck. And my goodness me, I've never been so relieved in my life. To cut the story short, if Mick had not found me, I'd be still there today inside that, that warship. And uh, I have to say that Mick saved my life and uh, had the presence of mind to come back looking for me. And it was a lesson I learned never to go inside 
a ship like that again with, with just torches and a rope because you so easily get lost in such poor visibility. I'd never experienced such darkness before. I'd never experienced such silt coming up and reflecting in the beam of the torch before because I'd done a night dive before. I'd never seen anything like this. The relief, I can tell you, was immense. And that was the same with Mick because he panicked because he thought he'd lost me for good. And we surfaced. Um, we were just, fortunately, just within um, safety valve, safety uh, a situation with our decompression time. So we were safe back on board the, uh, the inflatable dinghy and very, very relieved. A lesson which I learned, too adventurous, uh, too dangerous, should never have gone inside the wreck. Though I didn't worry about that because Nick Mick had said he'd been in it before with other divers. But it was a new experience for me and something which I don't wish to do again. So thanks to dear Mick Phipps, I'm alive today. God bless him. next episode I'll be talking about a dive off Munning Cove, followed by a recovery of a fisherman's net in St Ives Bay, and then the police dive, search for a body in the quarry, that was a freshwater dive of course, and then the awful dive to find a body of a fisherman off Coverack. And finally, uh, two more, the um, freeing of a perler with, from the, with the lifeboat off Sandon, and a dive with the research ship Jane searching for tin. And lastly, uh, as divers Sennon and fishermen feathered their hooks on us. If you haven't already, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast for leagues more adventures under the sea.